Hey folks, this is a new thing I'm trying, and I haven't fixed on a name yet, but I'm going to call it SFD Shorts for now. It looks like I might be headed to law school in the fall, and while I'll try to keep the blog alive and do what I can about recording, it's probably going to be the end of the show for a while. So far, SFD hasn't exactly been a rating success, but I think the work has been good, and if you're listening, there's a chance that you think so too. So in the time we've got left, I'm going to try to hammer the podcast, and after Iran's done, I'm going to do what I can to bring out something spectacular for the last series. In the meantime, I've written some things on the SFD blog and elsewhere that I think bear hearing, and I'm going to turn them into short little shows that'll get you to work and maybe back again. I'm Jonathan Coombs, and this is Safe for Democracy. America is today the strongest, the most influential, and most productive nation in the world. ¿Para qué sirve entonces la civilización? ¿Para qué sirve la conciencia del hombre? ¿Para qué sirven las Naciones Unidas? But these differences were all forgotten in one unshakable unity of determination to find a way to end war. We do not want a war. We do not now expect a war. This generation of Americans has already had enough, more than enough, of war and hate and oppression. Across the world, we are hunting down the killers, and we're showing them the definition of American justice. There is a recurring temptation to feel that some spectacular and costly action could become the miraculous solution to all current difficulties. We have an obligation to be of help where we can to freedom fighters and lovers of freedom and democracy from Afghanistan to Nicaragua. The United States has no intention of determining the precise form of Iraq's new government. That choice belongs to the Iraqi people. Those who make peaceful revolution impossible will make violent revolution inevitable. We want democracy to survive for all generations to come, not to become the insolvent phantom of tomorrow. So part of what I wanted to get out in this blog and in this cast is why we as a country, culture, and people do what we do abroad. Why and how we can continue seeding these disasters overseas. Part of the answer, unavoidably, is that we don't see foreigners as people, not in the most important sense. And trying to overcome that barrier to human feeling was part of the post that I wrote on looking at history from the outside. Another element, though, I think, is optimism. Historical optimism. I don't know exactly when the U.S. as a country acquired that outlook, whether it came to us at some point or whether it was baked into it from the beginning, but it's thoroughly ours. One of the many definitions of the American dream is providing better for your kids than your parents did for you. America, especially once we'd left the gold standard and gotten into Bretton Woods, had a hand in creating a global economic system whose goal was year-over-year growth forever. There's a philosophy behind those ideas in many other aspects of American life, which is that things are getting better in the long run. What Martin Luther King said, that the arc of the moral universe is long, but it curves towards justice, describes our outlook. Look at the facts of the world. You see an eventual and continual and progressive triumph of the good. The idea that things are, in the long run, getting better, has a long pedigree. We, and forgive me if you're beyond this, We tend to see history as a progression in a bumpy but upward-sloping line from the dawn of man to us. 
We develop agriculture, we develop cities, and then writing, and empires, and democracy, the United States, and then iPhones. The future isn't clear, but we know it will eventually contain more and better than what we have now. The modern schools of history that now dominate history departments, and interestingly, ancient schools of history, both spin on that idea. The progress of history, and quote-unquote progress is a word we use in that context exactly because we view history as progress, is random, literally unpredictable, and curves in whatever direction the uncaring universe and humanity as a whole push it in, period. It was easy before the election of Donald Trump, and it may still be easy for you to defend history as progress. The situation for women and ethnic, social, and gender minorities looks better than it's ever looked before, and it looks like it will continue to improve for the foreseeable future. Sure, the economy's garbage and wealth is messed up and our politics are down the toilet, but it will all look up eventually. Things, though, have been this good before. Some anthropologists believe that man was healthier and had more leisure time as a hunter-gatherer than he's ever had since. We might be getting healthier now physically, but we're only just discovering that modern living has been destroying the health benefits of so-called traditional living for centuries. And as far as the mental and moral weight of 10,000 years of civilization, I'm not sure it's too easy to argue that the balance has always fallen towards the good. That's all vague in general, though. Take this. Entire great civilizations, like the Harappa, lived and died so many thousands of years ago that we know almost nothing about them, except that they probably imagined things would be getting better, generally, in the long run. Ancient Athens was more politically and philosophically and sexually enlightened than any society before maybe 1800. Ancient Rome was sometimes brutal and definitely unequal, but the Pax Romana kept the Mediterranean safe from the depredations of war, defended religious freedoms, and exercised a form of slavery much more benevolent than ours was or the kind that gets us our chocolate right now. The ancient and medieval worlds, for all their iniquities, did not practice racism or even acknowledge racial differences in the way that we do today. The Middle East was once the cultural and scientific capital of the world. The Ottoman Empire, a vast swathe of tolerant social policy, and a place where women had vastly more rights than they do in much of the former Ottoman Empire today. More analogous to our situation now, Europe had never been more cosmopolitan, democratic, or interconnected than in the summer of 1914. Weimar Germany was as progressive as a place got before the modern day back in 1933. The U.S. was more equitable and democratic for blacks during Reconstruction in 1870 than it was afterwards in 1900, or even 1955. Mexico was, in many senses, on a serious upswing during the last year of Porfirio Diaz's dictatorship, right before it plunged into 20 years of civil war. Spain finally threw off its monarchy and founded the Second Republic in 1931, and then convulsed in civil conflict and spent 40 years under the brutality of Francisco Franco. But, alright, maybe those were all blips and not actual historical reverses, right? And other than our inequality and our politics and, right now, Donald Trump, things still look okay. As long as they'll keep getting better, they look okay. Better than they were before, anyway. And they may be alright. Historians don't spit on the idea that, from now on, history will be progress towards ever greater good. They only reject the idea that it has to be that way, that some extra-historical force will compel it to be that way. To them, and to me, the only things affecting the vague shape of the future are us and an uncaring cosmos. If you're religious and you believe that God has a plan, that's great. I do too. But I acknowledge that the two tools with which he enacts that plan are humanity and the cosmos. So we're on the same page. 
why is it important to me or to this site or to this podcast that you believe me? Because I want you to understand that this upward slope we're on, if we're on one at all, and it's looking day by day under the Trump administration like we might not be, is delicate, incredibly so. The shows in this podcast are ample evidence that human society is fragile and that a few knocks and tweaks here and there can bring it crashing violently, disastrously down. For 10 years, Guatemala was the most progressive country in Latin America, and almost overnight it became the most violent. Iran went from progressive to regressive. Almost every nation in Latin America from kind of like the US in the 1940s to excruciating dictatorship. Human achievement depends on humanity and circumstance and needs both to survive. And we are at this point staring down the barrels of both. Western meddling in the Middle East over the last century and a half transformed a budding regional player on the world stage into a harbor for extremism that primarily physically affects the region itself, but which, through terrorism, is transforming the countries of the quote-unquote civilized West into xenophobic surveillance states. In Europe, out-and-out fascism is once again on the rise. At home, demagoguery in the American pattern, fueled by Ronald Reagan's disastrous inclusion of the religious right into Republican politics, and the explosion of an information galaxy of paranoia and misinformation in talk radio and Fox News is literally threatening the bases of our government. In Paris two years ago, in the last meeting of the COP20, the collective nations of the world capped off 21 years of procrastination by passing, finally, a climate change agreement, which, while being toothless, was something that right now Donald Trump is doing his best to undermine, all while every year climate change beats out our most ominous predictions of its progress. Whether or not you believe in climate change, we've also passed the peak of cheap oil, and things like electricity and transport, medicine and food are set to get precipitously more expensive and could wreck society as we know it unless we pour everything, literally everything, into alternative energy right now, which we are not. Climate change itself, whether it's man-made or a natural cycle or the will of God, and it's man-made, will cause food and resource shortages, mass migrations, natural disasters, and the spread of tropical plague, all of which are what brought down the Roman Empire, much longer lived than we have been. So let me leave you with two things. The first is that whatever we have now, the only way we got it and the only way we'll hold on to it is by fighting for it. Every time you don't vote, Every time you don't write your congressman, every time you don't hold back that argument for fear of offending, every time you don't stand up for someone in a weaker position than yours, you're letting us all down. Dr. King could see history curving towards justice because he was pushing it that way. Every time you leave the pushing up to someone else and assume that the curve will hold, you're actively letting it fall back down. We are all there is. The second thing is that when we act abroad, When your senator threatens Iran, or the president gets on the radio and reads an ultimatum to a dictator, or some asshole denigrates diplomacy and international law as words for weaklings, take a hard look at the people they're talking about. Because by definition, they're weaker than us. And whatever situation they're in, it's delicate. And if we destroy it, there is no guarantee that it will, in the long run, get better. Then look around yourself and try to reckon with the centuries of human effort and historical luck that put it all there and ask yourself if you would want it taken away from you.